listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. I have, um, the last couple of weeks have been uh, awesome. For those of you that were not here last week, you could go and watch on, on the live, but you'll never, you'll never understand it from the live stream. But the best I can just say is that the power of God is always here, but sometimes it shows up in different ways and uh, sometimes in more tangible ways. And so I'm fine with, I'm always fine with just not preaching or not teaching and God can just do whatever he wants to do. And I love to be in a room with people that have a hunger for God, that have a hunger for the things of God, that have a hunger for his presence. Because the time that we're living in, you know, I don't know what the next I don't know what the next month holds, to be honest with you. I don't know what the next two weeks hold. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I've got, I've got a, a sense in me of certain things that are going to happen, but I really don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what 2021 is going to bring. I don't know what the next decade is going to bring, except for this, that I know that Jesus is king over my life and that he is the one and the only true God. And no, no matter what happens in the world, I refuse to be moved and I refuse to be shaken. And it is going to require... In the days to come, people that are robust, faith-filled, on fire, hunger, hungry for the things of God, that's the kind of people that are going to make a difference in the days to come. There's a, a pruning that's happening in, in the church as a whole, and God is looking for his real, true, fiery ones that are branded with, with his name and with his power and that are passionate about what's important to him. There's been a, probably a lot of time, and, and I love the church, so I'm, I never mean to be critical, but there's been a lot of time and decades with the church of men being involved with what's been important to men, but there's a shift that's taking place to where we are going to be required to, to be involved with and to be focused on what is really important to the Lord. And when you look at the early church, uh, and I talk about this all the time, but it's one of my most passionate things. You look at the early church, it, their entire life was wrapped up in the ones that they had a relationship with, the other believers. It was wrapped up in them, and it was wrapped up in the presence of God. It was wrapped up in doing what he had called them to do. And in these days that are, that are to come, I believe the church is going to become more powerful. Actually, I believe we're already as powerful as that will ever be. We just don't really know what we have. That's really the reality. But there is an awakening that's happening in the hearts of people all over the country, all over the world, and it's the same for us too. And it, it is going to require to be able to stand and to be able to do what the Lord wants us to do, a greater level of coming together in, in a greater level of his manifested presence, not only when we come together, but also in our, in our own personal life. But man, if we do that, there's not anything that we can't do. There's not anything that we won't accomplish with the Lord. We serve an awesome God. He's an incredible God. And we could sit and look at a bunch of things in our past and think, well, what about this and what about that? And that didn't come to pass. And I don't know about all that stuff, but I know what he's saying about our future. I know what he's saying about your future. And I know what God has around the corner. We are on the brink, and I'll say this, and I'll continue to say it, we're on the brink of the greatest awakening. I don't believe just that America has ever seen, but the world has ever seen. And we were talking uh, last night, we were sitting at the dinner table, and we were talking about how that in uh, Matthew chapter 24, where it talks about, you know, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and all these things, um, but the end is not yet, but then it, it will come. But before it comes, this gospel 
must be preached or will be preached throughout the earth. And as far as I'm concerned, the ends of the earth have not been touched with the goodness of God like it needs to be with the gospel of Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's a greater mantle, a greater level that we're carrying now than the previous generations have had before. And it's not because we're more favored or more loved, but I'm saying that the time, the time, it, the time is at hand when people have to stand up and rise up and be the church that God has called them to be, the, be the church that God's called us to be. I'm excited, man. This is awesome, awesome stuff. And one of the things that I, um, I oh, I got my stuff up here. And one of the things that I, I quit doing a few years ago um, was quit trying to have a, a Christmas message because that's what you're supposed to do, pastors are supposed to do. And so if you're not normally coming here or whatever, Merry Christmas. And so I'm going to just kind of move on with things that the Lord has in my heart. And so... Um, and I don't mean that with any disrespect, disrespect for the Caesar or anything, but, uh, but I just have to do what God's telling me to do. And the last couple of weeks, um, the Holy Ghost interrupted what I was going to teach and then pushed it off until this week. So I'm going to share some things with you this week, and I believe the timing is right. Amen. And it may not seem like it has that much to do with, uh, with Christmas, but I can promise you it does because we're going to, we're going to talk about finances we're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about the purpose of money. Uh, probably this week and next week, I think I'll probably go a couple of weeks with this. And I really believe that this is, this is extremely important that we understand the purpose of money. We understand that God wants us to be blessed, and he wants us to have a proper perspective about that blessing that he has given to us. And I've, I, um, you know, I've been labeled by many people as, a, as a, like a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. Uh, you know, word of faith guy. Well, if you ask me, Jesus was a word of faith guy, if you want to say it like that, because he took the word of the Lord and he declared it and then he saw things come to pass. So however you want to label that, I'm sticking with what Jesus said and what Jesus did, and I'm just going to do the same thing. I don't know about you, amen? But you know, the purpose of prosperity, the reason that God has given us money or given us the power to gain wealth isn't to consume things upon self, but it's to increase so that we can advance his kingdom. In the process, God wants us to be blessed, but that's not why we have money. And so whenever we, we talk about uh, finances, you know, and I've heard this for years, um, coming back at me, and I just love those people. It's no problem. But I've heard so many people say, well, he's a prosperity preacher. And I think, well, let's qualify that. Do I wear patent leather shoes and, you know, you know, try to squeeze every dime out of people? No, absolutely not. But do I believe God wants us to be prosperous? A hundred percent yes. You cannot do what God wants you to do in this earth without having money. Try it. Sometime it doesn't work very well. And the deal is, is that everybody who's, who's coming against prosperity, really, they want money just as much any, as anybody else. They just don't like to hear Christians talk about it. But for me, I would rather talk about it, have a right perspective, and believe God for increase in that area. Because, again, you're not, you're not going to see everything that God wants to take place without having finances and without having a proper perspective about finances. And so I just thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time and, and talk about this and discuss this a little bit more. But let me tell you this, and this kind of fits into the, the Christmas season, that when Jesus came, that you know, people have this impression just because of how religion has presented how, how Jesus was and how he came and how he, uh, you know, how he lived, that Jesus was poor. And I can tell you that is 100% not true. Jesus was extremely wealthy. Because whenever 
Jesus came and, and the, the wise men, they brought gifts and what they bring, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, when you look at those things, and I don't know what frankincense and myrrh is, spices or something like that. I, you know, no, nobody really understands that. But then those things were extremely valuable. And, of course, gold has always been valuable. And the way we have it pictured in our mind probably because of the plays we were involved in as kids or whatever, is you had these three little, you know, lowly little wise men who came in. And by the way, we don't know how many wise men came. It just said that they brought gifts from afar. And there were three different gifts that the Bible lists, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we just think, you know, they had their little thing that they came up and just like, here's a little deal. The way that I see it, and from what I understand historically, is that they probably had caravans of gold, frankincense, and myrrh with them to give to the king. When God sends somebody to do something, he gives them what they need to accomplish the work. And there's no way that God would send his son to the earth and then not give the finances for his son to live and do what he was called to do. Now, you can, you can compare that with scriptures that Jesus talked about how that like he didn't have a place to lay his head and things like that, but that was because of his calling. That was because of what he was doing. That was because of the mission that he was on. And so he traveled and did things, but I can promise you that Jesus had money. Mary and Joseph had money because of the gifts that were brought. And my point with this is that God wants us, before I get into talking about the purpose of money, I wanna talk just very simply about the fact that God wants us to be blessed. He wants to bless us. And I'm going to only touch the tip of the iceberg concerning this this morning. There are gidgads of, of scripture verses that we could take, I mean, we could take hours and hours and look at to prove that God wants us to have finances. But let me just make it abundantly clear. Whenever people say, are you, I mean, because I'll have people ask me this and I'll hear people say things. Are you one of those prosperity preachers? And I'll say, absolutely I am. What you think a prosperity preacher is and what I think a prosperity preacher is, however, is probably two different things. When anybody hears the word prosperity, they automatically, they just, auto, and it's coming from a minister, they automatically think, oh, well, you just want to drive nice cars and you want to have seven homes or whatever. I, I know that there are some people that have done squirrely stuff like that, but that's not what I do. And that's not, that's not where I came from, but what I did come from was a mentality that God wants us to increase. He wants us to have extreme riches, extreme wealth, so that we can establish his covenant in the earth. But while we're at it, before we get into that, let me just very simply say that God wants you to be blessed. There are many, many passages, and I, hopefully we'll get into some of them, but there are many passages in the Bible that talk about the dangers of pursuing riches and getting your heart attached to that and trusting in that. But there's also a bunch of scriptures that talk about that God wants us to be blessed. He wants our needs to be met. He wants us to be the head and not the tail above and not beneath all of these kind of things. So we have to compare scripture with scripture. And it's right that we should never get to a place to where we're trusting in finances and to where that becomes a God to us but it's also right that we should desire to have it so that we can have it for its correct purpose. And so people get, they just hear these things and they don't really go study the scriptures. But the Bible says, and it's in 1 Timothy, actually, let's turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I think we probably have this, we can pull up there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want to read this and I want to talk about this just briefly. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. And I'm going to read, and hopefully we can get that pulled up on there, but I'm just going to start reading. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Amen to that. 
and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I've known many people that have lusted after money, and it did just what the scripture said, and it destroyed them. But look at the next verse. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through, through with many sorrows. You know, I was um, with, uh, a lot of you know Pastor Bobby. I was with Pastor Bobby one time, and uh, he, we were in conversation about money. Now, this is going to shock some of you all because it shocked me when he said it. He said, I love money. I was like, what are you talking about? The scriptures say right there that the love of money is the root of all. He said, I love money. And I was like, Pastor, I can't even believe you're saying that. I, the word is so, so crystal clear. The love of money is the root of all evil. He said, I love what money can do. I don't have a love that comes from money. There is a love that's not of God that can come from money to where you lust after it in an unhealthy way. And so he was making a point because he believed, and that was years ago, he believed I needed to grow in that area, and I did need to grow in that area in my thinking concerning finances. For me, I don't love uh, money. I would never say it like that. I said, well, I'd never repeat it like that, although I see what you're saying. He said, well, you do what you want to do, but it got the point across. I said, yeah, it did. I don't have a love that comes from money, but I do love what money can do. Because when you give into ministries, you give into missions, you give into people, you support the work of the Lord, and that's what causes souls to be saved. That's what causes the word to go forth. That's God uses finances to bring, to bring increase for his kingdom. And so being able to separate that out and realize it's, the, it's a love that comes from an unhealthy connection with money that's inappropriate. It's not loving what money can do. I love it when I get a big check or when we have money come in because I know that what comes into my hand, that I'm a faithful steward of what God's given me and I can bring in increase for the kingdom of God. And it's right for us to have this healthy perspective. And I'm, I'm going to go down that road uh, more here in a little bit, but I just want to establish before that, that God, before he wants us to be a blessing, he actually wants to bless us personally. God desires to bless us. And you know, all the people that would come against prosperity preachers, the only difference between, you know, between maybe them and, and me is I'm just willing to talk about it, but they want to be blessed just like I do as, as well. Because they'll talk about, oh, I bought my, I mean, I've had conversations with so many people. Oh, I got, I got a new bass boat. Oh, I like my new truck and all this kind of stuff. But then you talk about, you know, I can stand up and say, God wants to prosper us and he wants us to be blessed. I can't believe you would say that. Well, the difference is, is that I'm giving God glory for something, whereas you're not. You tell me who the hypocrite is. You tell me who the problem is. I'll never forget this one guy, and I'll never mention his name, but <clears throat> this one guy uh, was, and it still is on the radio, and his whole ministry is about bashing all of these, uh, he just, they call them, you know, name it, claim it, prosperity gospel people. And by the way, prosperity means more than just finances. It means all kinds of ways for God to increase you. And isn't that why Jesus came? He came to increase us in every single aspect of the word. But he's just, this guy's whole ministry is just knocking on all of these ministers. And I got to digging around and, and looking into this guy a little bit. And I come to find out that he has mega, just has mega amounts of money, as much as any of those people that he was bashing. 
And I thought, wait a second here. He's bashing all of these people for, for preaching on finances and preaching on money, yet he's got truckloads of money. And I just, I just, re- I just identified it's just, a, it's just a, like a religious spirit. That people just say things and they don't, I don't even think they really believe it. Because if he did, he wouldn't have all that money. Money is not the problem. It's an unhealthy attachment of the money. By the way, the people that I've learned about finances and about prosperity from the most live the most humble lives. You know where I learned most about finances was Andrew Womack. And when I went to school out there, I don't know if you all remember what car he drove, but I saw him drive a few times. He drove a Ford Escape. Anybody in here have a car that's equivalent in price to a Ford Escape? Come on now. Probably a bunch of us in here. He wasn't preaching, and this is, this is somebody now that's, I mean, even then he was, but is extremely well-known, has taught a lot of people about finances. And I have the same kind of mentality. It's not about having fancy things. It's about what you do with the money that comes to you. And this is something that has to flip and change in the body of Christ. But before I get into that more, I want to talk about just the fact that God wants us to be blessed. Uh, Psalm chapter, and I'm going to go through these scripture verses, hopefully pretty quick here, but Psalm chapter 35 and verse 27. Can we pull that up on the screen? Psalm 35 and 27. That is not it. Psalm 35 and verse 27. Meanwhile, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1. It's quiet in here. Excuse me, Genesis chapter 12. This is one of those things that just makes people nervous when you talk about this. I don't, I don't understand that. Well, I do understand it. It's because people have an un unhealthy relationship with money, and it makes them nervous when you start talking about it. You know, Liz and I, we talk about the Lord blessing us all the time. We live in a place of expecting blessing, but you know there's not one thing that we, we own. Actually, we don't own anything. We're only stewards of it, but everything we have in our possession, we would release any of it at any time if the Lord told us to. We don't have an unhealthy tie for money, but we have an expectation of what God can do with that, with that money and through us if we have a right heart. Did we get that verse pulled up there, Psalm 35 and 27? Anyways, here it is. It says, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Let me ask you something. Do you favor God's righteous cause? If you do, you got something to shout about. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. It's pretty hard to argue with that if you ask me. I mean, the word's just really plain, and I'm going to give you a bunch more. But it says, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. It causes God's heart to leap for joy when you get blessed with something. So this would be in relation to God as a, as a master because it's, it's saying servant. And so we are his servants, but we're the best treated servants in the history of the entire world. We got the best living quarters and all that kind of stuff. But if you just break it down to a level of a father and children, which one of you wouldn't want to bless your kids with the absolute best of anything? If you don't, you probably need to check your heart as a parent. You probably got something wrong with you. But there's probably not a person in here that doesn't want their kids to have the very best. It's right for us to look at God as our father and expect the very best from him in our life. It's good to be content, as we just read about in 1 Timothy. It's right to be content with what we have. Because I've been at a place in my life before where I wanted things so bad that I became uh, discontent. And really, my mindset became very unhealthy. But it's, it's right, no matter what you have, it's right to be content, but it's, always, it's also right to believe God for more. And you say, well, is that just for selfish gain? 
But let me just say this. Your goal with finances should, also be to incre- should always be to increase the kingdom, but there's nothing wrong with having things. What's wrong is when things have you. It's right to have money. It's wrong when money has you. Amen? Hallelujah. Let me read this verse to you in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The end result here is what I believe that we're really after, which is all the families, all the peoples of the earth to be blessed through us. Because in the same way that God had a covenant through Abraham, he also has a covenant through us. But before Abraham could be a blessing, he had to be blessed first. Go back and look at verse 2, and it says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Before Abraham could give any blessing, he first had to be blessed himself. And if you jump over to uh, chapter 13 and verse 2, it says, Abraham, or Abram at that time, was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. So if the Lord says, I'm going to bless you to Abraham, and then he blessed him with monetary wealth, and wealth is bad or evil, why was God giving Abraham something that was evil? He's not. By the way, just to show you how God thinks, what we consider to be really valuable, this is, this is white gold. We consider gold to be one of the most valuable things here on this earth. That's what you walk on in heaven. Can you imagine what the walls are like? Can you imagine what the buildings are like? And the last time I checked, Jesus, he didn't say, I go to heaven to prepare a, a place for you that's a shanty. He said, I'm giving you a mansion. Why? Because God is a wealthy God. He's a wealthy guy. He thinks in terms of increase and prosperity. And if that mind is in God, that mind should also be in us. We should believe God for the best, but be content with what we have. But the reason we believe God for the best is so that we will have something to bless other people with. It It is not a holy thing to live like a pauper and have nothing to give anybody else. Because if you do, you do not have the spirit of Christ dwelling in you, or at least not in your mind, at least not in your thinking. A lot of people have a mentality of me, my four, and no more. That's a wrong mentality. We should have a mentality that just like it says that Jesus, Jesus gave, for God so loved the world that he gave. God gave Jesus, and Jesus gave his life. He's, he's in the business of giving. He basically bankrupted heaven, if you will, with his most valuable asset, his son, and sent it to earth because he has, a, he has first an understanding of great wealth, but also what he can do with that wealth. Think about how valuable Jesus is. Can you put a price tag on Jesus? Could you really, could you really sit and figure how valuable he is? But yet God knows the value of Jesus. He knows the value of his own life, and he sent it so that he could redeem the entire world. The same way that God had an opportunity through Jesus, he's also given us an opportunity through finances. But if we view money as evil or we view money as something we shouldn't talk about, 
then I can promise you it's not going to come to you in the measure that God wants it to come to you. Let me just be so bold as to say that we should be the, the, the I don't want to say filthy rich, but we should be the wealthiest stinking people. Even stinking's not good. We should just be the wealthiest people on the face of the earth. <clears throat> Christians should not be the poorest people. We should be the wealthiest people. And by the way, God's arm is not too short. You can actually be blessed, have nice things, and give away tons of money. And he does, he does not have a problem with that. Because I, and, if, I, and the reason I can say that is because I know the purpose of prosperity, the purpose of money, isn't just to put it in my pocket, but it's to bless people. But I also know that God does not want me to live like a pauper, and he doesn't want you to live like a pauper either. It does not, it does not, we, now if we're in a situation to where that's where we're at and that's what's going on, we should learn to be content, but also at the same time have a holy dissatisfaction of saying, Father, I want more because I want to be a blessing to more people. People that don't have, don't bless. People that have, bless. There's a, miscon, there's a misconception too about, about money that a lot of people that they think wealthy people are the greediest. From my experience, the greediest, greediest people I've ever met in my life are ones that don't have much money. And greed is not an issue of how much money you have. It's the focus you have on money, whether you have a lot or you have a little. There are wealthy people that are greedy, and there are non-wealthy people that are greedy. Greed is an issue of the heart. Again, it's not an issue of how much you have. But if we can have a proper perspective that God wants to take finances and use it to advance his kingdom, and that's part of how he does it, then God will, I believe, will funnel more finances to us the more of an understanding and the more of an expectancy we have of this. I know this is, I'm skating on thin ice for some people. I have had, I, I would say there's two things that have caused more people to... Be offended or leave the church over the years. One is praying in tongues, and which I don't even know what to say about that because I did it on the day of Pentecost, and I'm not going to go into that right now. And praise God, I thank God for praying in tongues. The other one is when we talk about money. We talk about finances. We talk about how that God wants us to prosper. And I just go back to things, and I haven't really even got into the Scripture verses very much, but I just go back to things that are in the Word that tell us that God wants us to prosper. The issue and the line that needs to be drawn is not about whether you have money or not, but it's whether you're trusting in money or not. Because we do see people that have done some really messed up and some very fraudulent things with money, ministers in particular. There's been many of them that have done that um, and have taken it and, uh, and have taken a license and done things that they shouldn't have done. But that doesn't mean the principles that are in the word are wrong. See, we, sometimes Christians tend to do that. There'll be something come down the pipeline that's, that's right, but then we'll see someone pervert what came down the pipeline that was right, and we throw the entire thing out. You know, we throw the, the baby out with the bathwater, as the saying goes. We should be wise enough to take something that's accurate and apply it to our life and go, Lord, I don't know why they did what they did, but I see the truth that's in your word. And this happens with everything in the body of Christ. You know, years ago, uh, Kenneth Hagin was the one that really taught the church how to believe God. And there were, there were some before him and everything, but he really is the one that expounded it. And then from, from that teaching and from his revelation on faith, you had people come out of that doing some of the squirreliest stuff. Uh, there's this story that's been going around for years, and there's enough people that have said it that I'm sure it's true, that, you know, there was this woman that said, because Brother Hagin 
who wrote Mark chapter uh, whatever it is, 10, 23 and 24 or whatever, not really, but he, that was like his life verse, amen. And he had a revelation that whatever you say and when you, you speak and you believe what you're saying, you'll have whatever you, you can say. Well, he wasn't saying you could go do sinful things and wrong things. And most of the people knew that, but this one lady, she just decided, well, I'm supposed to be married to Kenneth Copeland. So she went and confessed Kenneth Copeland as her, her husband, but the issue was that Kenneth Copeland was married to Gloria Copeland, and so there's no room in God's grace or in the word for us to commit adultery and desire somebody else's spouse, but she would curse Gloria Copeland to die and say, I believe and I confess. See, you can have something that's true like faith, and then you have some nut job that goes and spoils it for everybody, and then the, the idea of faith gets a, gets a bad name. Uh, I've got a revelation of grace that continues to grow stronger and stronger all the time. Man, I love to talk about the grace of God, about righteousness. This is one of the most awesome revelations that God has given me. But you know, sometimes when I minister on it, many times, and I won't even allude to this, I'll have people go, you're just giving people a license to sin. They're, you're saying that just so you can go and live like however you want to live. And you know where they got that is, again, some squirrely person got a hold of grace, and they really didn't. And they took it, and they went and lived like a complete animal. They lived like the devil, saying, I'm saved by the grace of God. Well, you might be saved by the grace of God, but you don't have a revelation of it. Otherwise, you would change some things that are happening in your life. There's always people that spoil it. And the same thing with prosperity, the same thing with finances, is that God says, I want to bless you. I want to make your name great so that you can be a blessing. And when you stand up and say, God wants us to be blessed so that we can bless other people. Brother, you're just after money. You, you just, I mean, you're just after a pile and fine. You can't take anything with you. It can't go with you when you go. I mean, I've heard all this stuff for years. And you know what I think about that person? I think I feel so sorry for you that you've been, you've been limiting God like this because of some goofy person that didn't simply take the word and believe it. And you threw everything out that was true because of what somebody did with something that was true, but they did wrong with it. Man, we, gotta, we have to be smarter than that. We have to be more mature than that, that we can look at the word and just believe what it says. And if Abraham, who had a lesser covenant than what we have, and God said, I will bless you. He, did, he didn't say, now, Abraham, I want you to be really careful here because there's going to be some finances and some things come your way. But I want you to be really, really, really careful that you don't hang on to it because it is not for you. It's for everybody else. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, son, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, that had to do with faith, I believe, primarily, but it also had to do with monetary wealth. You know how we know that? I just read the verse. It says that Abraham was rich in gold and silver and livestock. He was an extremely wealthy man. So we have to get it through our heads that God wants us to be blessed. He wants money to come to us. There's all kinds of things which I don't have time to get into. Just, you know, there's people that have been saying that for years but still live broke, and it's because they, you know, they spend more money than they make, and they, they violate all kinds of just really natural things that they need to change some stuff. But the truth is, is that God absolutely wants us to be blessed. Let me show you some more scripture verses uh, that talk about this. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 11. Can we pull this up here? Deuteronomy 28 and 11. Hallelujah. I just want everybody to see this. Deuteronomy 28, 11. Hallelujah. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus, 
for this Christmas message. Well, I'm going to have to pull it up and read it. Deuteronomy 28, 11. Here we go. The next one you can get ready is Ecclesiastes 5, 19. All right, so here we go. It says, And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, and the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. So there we see that the Lord wants increase and, and promises increase and blessing. Can we go to Ecclesiastes 5 and 19? Well, I can't quote it because I don't know that one that well. Okay, praise the Lord. It says, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and, to get, and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Here we can see here that God gives riches and wealth to people. If it was bad, why would God be doing it? God doesn't do anything that's evil. Amen. Proverbs chapter 13 and 22. Proverbs 13 and 22. That's okay. We can just, there we go. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. It says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It is a good thing to have truckloads of money to leave to not only your children, but to your grandchildren. You understand when it's saying your children's children, that that is your grandchildren. It's saying that a good man leaves an inheritance even to his grandkids. Now, I'm not saying if you don't have money to leave like that, that you're not a good person. But what I am saying is that it is a good thing to leave money to your family. It's a good thing to have a lot of money to be a blessing to your family and to the kingdom of God. You have to have before you can give. You cannot give something away that you don't have. And I'm going to tell you now, I believe that this... This is an important message because one of the things in the second part of that verse, it says, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. And we've heard the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the the righteous. We've heard that for many, many years. I've heard many prophecies about that. There is coming before the end comes that there will be a great transfer of wealth. There's been books written on it. There's been a thousand prophecies given about it. And I absolutely believe it's to be true. But let me ask you something. Is that money going to come to people that don't have a right mentality? The answer is no. It will not come to those people because if they came into a bunch of money, they would only consume it upon themselves. But see, when God can have people with the right mentality say, Father, whatever it is that comes into my hand does not belong to me, but it belongs to you, I will do anything you want to with it. When God can find those kind of people and will say, I'm expecting for increase financially in my life, God can move heaven and earth with those kind of people. He can see more souls, more ministries built, more missionaries sent, more people, more poor people reached and fed, and all of those things that are involved in kingdom business. If he can have people that will say, God, I will believe, and I do believe that you want wealth to come to me, but I also understand that the reason that wealth is supposed to come to me is so that I can be a blessing to other people. Yeah. Folks, this, this is a holy message. This is a right message for us to hear and to know and to understand. And I'm, I'm, I'm plowing a little bit more than what I thought I would have to, but I'm just going to keep plowing. Because we've been trained so wrong for, for so long. We've heard things so messed up concerning finances. And, you know, God's ministers are the ones that are supposed to preach and teach the word, right? 
Are they supposed to preach and teach the, the, all of the scripture verses that make everybody comfortable or even the ones that people need revelation on and that will make them uncomfortable? Yes, they need to have revelation on everything. I've heard this, and I've never gone and actually looked, but I've heard this for years, and I believe it to be true just based on my studies, that there are more, that Jesus talked more about finances than he did anything else. How many? 2,080 times? Where'd you get that? Okay, so she got it from somebody else too. So neither one of us have actually gone and checked it. But I could tell you, I could tell you, for, what? Okay, I could tell you from my studies that Jesus talked about finances and money a lot. And the reason why is that how we believe about money and how we are faithful with money will determine how we're faithful with other things. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. I'm going to end with that. But I want to read um, these couple of the verses. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 22. And this is just the tip of the iceberg of the fact that the Lord wants us blessed. First, Proverbs 10 and 22. It says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. You know that rich people that have sorrow, the reason they have sorrow is because their wealth didn't come from the Lord. It came from other ways and their trust is in it and not in the Lord. But when God blesses you, when God prospers you, there's no sorrow attached to it. Praise God. But notice it says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. It doesn't make one poor. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been around people many times where they don't have two dimes to rub together. And, and they could have a great confession of, I am blessed. And if you don't have any money you're still blessed because the blessing is your relationship and your covenant with the Lord, regardless of whether you're manifesting. But the blessing makes you rich, not poor. Hallelujah. Psalm 122 and verse 7. Psalm 122 and verse 7. Look at this here. It says, peace be within your souls, or within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. Oh, 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 excuse me, excuse me. I mean, uh, just, just enough money to squeak by within your shanty. I, I misread that. Excuse me. No, it's just prosperity within your palaces. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is awesome. And lastly, 3 John, and uh, I believe it's chapter 1 and verse 2. There's only one. But it says that I wish, beloved, I pray in verse 2 that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I recently ministered a lot on this verse, but it's saying that I wish above all things that you prosper or that you may prosper in all things. What does all mean? You know what all means in the Greek? It means all, all things. That means in your spirit, your soul, your body, your family, your relationships, your health, and your finances. I wish above all things that you would prosper in all things. Hallelujah. Praise God. So now that we have that established that God wants us to prosper, give me a few more minutes and I'm going to show you one of the, one of the reasons why this money thing is, is such a, a big issue to God. Let's go to Luke chapter 16. All that was a prequel to what I, I need to share and what I want to share, which I won't finish this week, but I'm going to start with it because it's really, really important. Money has a, money has a purpose. And we need to understand that purpose. But before that, we have to know that God wants to get it to us. Hallelujah. 
And we're going to talk about, down the road, we're going to talk about some really practical ways because people have questions like, how much do I give? How much do I save? What do I, what do, I do with my money and how do I handle it? We'll have some more practical things coming right after the first of the year. We'll talk about some of those things. But we're just going to talk about some basic principles, one of them being God wants us to be blessed. God wants us to be a blessing. We're going to talk more about the, the purpose of, of money, uh, prosperity, is so that we can be a blessing and establish his covenant in the earth. But how we handle finances determines, is a determining factor and one of the main determining factors of what God will entrust with us in the future. It's really important. I'm going to show you this. Luke chapter 16 and verse 1. If you'll allow me, I just want to read these verses here. I'm going to read about 12 verses here. Luke 16 and verse 1. It says, he, he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So we called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So we called every one of his master's debtors to him and said, to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to, said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write out 50. So anyways, he was reducing their bills, what he was doing. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And so he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write, write, write out 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, I'm going to go back and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about some of these things that we just read, but I want, I want to get to this point here quickly. He who is faithful in what is least. Let me say this about verse 9. I'm going to, I'm going to start there. It says, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail or when you die, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Do you know what it looks like to take money, if you want to call it for the, for the time being unrighteous mammon, and you take money and you invest it into people, you invest it into the kingdom, you know what you do? You make, you make yourselves friends, eternal friends throughout eternity. And I am fully convinced and when we get to heaven, we're just, gonna, we're just going to know stuff. I am firmly convinced that we are going to know how when people gave money, it affected us being saved and brought in. And it also is true that when we give and when we obey God, that when we come into heaven, we're, we are going to have people that will come up to us and say thank you when you were in that service and that minister, that minister or that missionary or whatever it was was asking for money and you gave and they came and they told me about Jesus because they had enough for airfare and then they had enough to bring some food and me and my family were hungry and we came for the food, but we, saved, we, we stayed and we got saved and received eternal life. And I'm here because of the $27 gift that you gave, which is all you had in your pocket. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying if you make, make, you can make for yourself friends with unrighteous mammon, he's saying taking natural things, money, and you can affect people throughout all eternity if you'll use your money right. Man, that's powerful. And you say, well, how, how will we know that? I, I just know that God will just, we'll just know things. When we get to heaven, we will just know things. 
Then I could be, I can remember, and see, the Lord will put this on your heart. I remember being at a conference, and Liz was not there, and this was last, last year or two years ago maybe, but anyways, I was at this conference up in Indiana, and there was this, this whole uh, mission team that uh, were come up, and they were being prayed for, and God was doing two, something supernatural. There was these two different places, uh, people from uh, Belize. I got Brazil in my mind, from Belize, and they were not in ministry together, but the guy that was the, the apostle of the house said that the, the Lord is saying that you two are supposed to come together and work together. And all of a sudden, I got quickened, like, I have to give money. I, I have to give money into this. I couldn't explain it. And he said, we're going to come and we're going we're gonna to bless these people. I don't remember how, all the money I had in my pocket, maybe a couple hundred dollars or whatever. And there was still more conference to go. And I'm like, man, I, I got to give all my money, but I, I need to come up with more money. And so basically I, I called Liz and I said, or was it afterwards? I think I told you. I'm like, I gave all my money away. And so anyways, but I was so compelled that I went up and, and these, these missionaries that were there at this conference in Indiana, and I just took all the money out of my pocket and just they had a huge huge wheelbarrow. And, I, and I've been thinking lately, we need, to, we need a wheelbarrow in here. Amen. We need to believe God for more. But I took that, I took the money and I just, I dropped it in there. And I felt a release when I dropped it in there because it was like, it was like, oh, this, this isn't mine. You know, and I just had to throw it in there. I have no, I have zero doubt that when I get to heaven one day, there will be people that I never met that will come up to me. And somehow the spirit of God revealed to them that they saw me and a bunch of other people drop money into that wheelbarrow and they took that money and they reached people for Jesus and those people are going to meet me in heaven. Money has a purpose. But listen to this. Look at the the next verse. I'm going to get more into that next week. It says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? You know what this is saying here? Is that money, I believe that money is the least area of trusting the Lord. This this is going to be hard for some of you to hear this. Money is not the greatest measure of your faith. According to this, it's the least measure of your faith. And that might be hard for some of you to hear because, oh, Jesus, you trust in what's in your pocket. You trust in what's in your bank account. You trust in your job, and you're not really trusting in the Lord. And whenever we can come to a place to where we'll do anything that the Lord tells us to do with the finances that we have, that's when we'll, we'll pass the trust test. But when we're at a place where we can't do the simple, basic things that the Lord has asked us to do with money, he's not going to entrust us with more. I can tell you this to be true in my life, and the greater measure of faith and trust I have in the the Lord, and the more I've released any trust in finances or my natural ability to produce finances, the more increase I've seen the Lord bring into my life, not only of money, but also of the true riches, which are people. Because he says, if you can't be faithful in that which is least, you're not going to become ruler over much. Because if if you're unfaithful in what's little, you'll be unfaithful in the greater. It's a test. God God tests people. It's quiet in here. And you might say, well, what's, what's my job with finances? What's my, what's my job with money? What am I supposed to do? 
I'll say, you do what the Lord's telling you to do, but to me, 10% is the very least. And I've, I've had this argument with people, and I just quit arguing. It just doesn't, just doesn't even matter anymore. It matters, but it's, you know, they don't want to believe it. Here's the deal. The tith- people say, oh, tithing is legalistic. Legalism is not about what's, what you do right or wrong. It's about trying to be justified by what you do right or wrong. Tithing was before the law. Tithing was under the law, and tithing was also after the law. It's all through, it's all through the scriptures. People say, well, I'm not under the law. I don't have to tithe. No, you don't have to do anything. But you think you're going to be entrusted with more if you can't do that, which, was, which is least? <laughs> oh, I could get really, I'm just going to, actually, just prepping you. I have a few minutes left to leave you for the holiday season and all that, the Christmas, Christmas break. If it's robbery under the law to not give a tithe, is it not robbery after the law to not give a tithe? I think I said that right. In other words, if we're not under the law anymore, why is it all of a sudden that the things that were under the law, that we should do less than what the people did who were not under grace like we are. Grace is an empowerment to do things that God has called us to do. And listen, I'm, I, you could say, well, I, I only give $5 a week and I make 5000 And I'm going to put my arms around you and love you and hug you, but you are never going to be promoted to being in charge of people. Because if God can't trust you and I couldn't trust you with money and to, and to trust him, because he says, try me in this. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you which you can't contain. You think that's less true in the new covenant than it was under the law? It's more true. And God's already blessed us through Jesus, but you position yourself. The window's already open, but you, you put yourself underneath of the window. Because when you, when you, when you clench your fist and pull the money back and you, you put it in your pockets, you're saying to the Lord, whether you realize it or not, you're saying to the Lord, I just don't trust you with that. And that, that, can be, that can be a huge barrier for a lot of people because they're so used to working, counting all of what they believe to be their money and then giving out what they seem to be a necessary amount or an okay amount for them to give out. What they're doing is they're trusting in themselves and not trusting in the Lord. I've yet to meet a tither who's broke. I've seen some that struggle because they're not very wise with their money. But there's something supernatural about tithing that when you tithe, when you give a 10%, it redeems the rest of your money. Because listen, and we just read this. Oh my gosh, this is so good. Thank you, Jesus, for the clock. I'm so happy about a clock. But I know y'all can only take so much anyways. Money has a spirit on it. Mammon is not money. Money, I mean, mammon is, this, is a spirit that's on money. And if you go on and read and look at this next, this, uh, next verse, it says, No servant, this is verse thir- 13 of Luke 16, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You're either going to serve the spirit of God and trust in him, or you're going to serve mammon. Mammon is looking for servants, and God is looking for servants with your money, which one are you going to serve? 
And I firmly believe that when you will take the 10% and you will say, Lord, at least for a start, I'm going to trust you with this, it redeems the 90%. I can't give you a scripture verse that says that, but I'm telling you that is my testimony. When I was, well, Liz and I, about, this was about 10 years ago, and right after we got back from Bible college, and we just, mostly me, made some royally horrible mistakes financially. I mean, it was horrible. I look back and I think, what, what was I smoking, man? I don't even smoke anything. I'm just, I'm just saying it was that, it was that bad. It was like I was, I was in another world. I didn't mean to make a drug reference. I'm just saying it was just, it was bad. And I finally, I was like, Lord, what do I need to do? I said, I'm done tr- trusting myself. What do I need to do? And he said, well, first of all, you have become Lord over your finances instead of allowing me to be Lord over your finances. I said, okay, well, that seems like a stupid thing to do, so I'm not going to do that anymore. So you are Lord over, over my finances. I said, so what now? He said, I want you to tithe. I'm just telling you my testimony. I want you to tithe. And we started tithing, and I'm telling you now, we did not have money to tithe. We didn't have money to pay our bills. We didn't have money for all the debt we got into and for all the stupid decisions. We didn't have money for all of that. And the Lord said, actually, all the money that's coming in, I want you to take 10% and I just want, I want you to give that. I could have never given that and God still would have loved me. And somehow or another, I would have squeaked my way out of the financial crisis that we were in. I, I believe that. But when I did that, all of a sudden, it supernaturally started releasing things in our life. And then I got a hold of the word and I started looking and I realized God actually isn't calling us to do less in the newer covenant. If anything, by his grace and by his empowerment, we do more. But we shouldn't look at, at things in the law just because they were in the law. Again, tithing was before the law, but we shouldn't look at things in there and say, well, I'm, I'm not underneath it anymore. Yeah, we don't have to keep the feasts and you know, we don't have to keep the Sabbath day and different things like that. But there are still some principles that are there that are good for us to apply to our, uh, today. Last time I checked, it says don't commit murder. That's a pretty good one to keep nowadays, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, I think God didn't want us to murder. You understand what I'm saying? There are certain things that are set up in the earth that we're supposed to walk in and, and apply to our lives today. This is, I, I'm, and I'm out of time, and I don't have time to even pray over you properly like I should. But let me just say, don't be condemned by this, but be stretched by it. You're talking to two people that have made more mistakes in finances than, than we have time to tell you about. But one thing we did do is say, Lord, we are going to quit being Lord over our finances because that's what he told me. And I'm going to start tithing. And I'm, most importantly, I'm going to trust you. And I got to a point to where everything that I was getting and that I brought in and I was thinking about all of the things that Kent can consume upon Kent, I started saying, Lord, I'm just going to be content with what I have. Kent is going to be content. And everything I have belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, it says that it's the Lord who gives you power. Let's pull that up here really quickly in, close, in closing. Deuteronomy 8, 18. Look at this. Everybody's got to see this. We're going to find a way to do this faster. Here we go. It says, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may, that he may establish his covenant, which he, he swore to your fathers as it is this day. That right there shows you the purpose of finances, the purpose of prospering, is that God gives us money 
monetary money to establish his covenant in the earth. But actually, I said that wrong. He doesn't give us money. He gives us power to gain money. And when people work, they often feel like, well, I've worked for this money, and this is, this is my money. They, have, they may not say that, but they have that mentality. I put in my 40 hours this week. I worked 10 hours of overtime. I worked hard for this. Who gave you the breath in your lungs? Who caused your muscles to work? Who gave you the mind that, that you have? It was God that gave you all of those things. Why? To establish his covenant, to gain wealth, to establish his covenant in the earth. This is a, this is a mindset shift where we change the way that we're looking at these things. And I do it just, just for, just for uh, effect. I'll tell people, I'm a, I'm a prosperous man and I'm a prosperity preacher. Just just to, I don't know, I shouldn't do that probably. It's kind of whatever of me. <laughs> but this is what I'm talking about, is about changing the way you view money and the change in the way you, you look at God concerning money and what you're supposed to do with it. Man, I'm only just touching the tip of the iceberg. I'm going to need two or three or four more weeks of this. And you might say, I, I don't know that I really want to hear this anymore. If you're saying that, then you need to hear it more than anybody else because you hadn't gotten a hold of what I'm saying here. I'm talking about getting rich to make God's kingdom rich with people. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit OCIPerryville.com.